Welcome to the Life's Hard Succeed Anyway podcast, where you will hear transformational stories, positive encouragement, and practical strategies to help you grow your mindset, reach your potential, live your dreams, and experience a purpose-driven, impact-filled life. Here's your host, Alan Blaine. All right, this is Alan Blaine, and I am fired up to interview our special guest today, Tommy Breedlove. Tommy is an accomplished author. He's a renowned speaker, and his book, Legendary, being a bestseller in both the Wall Street Journal and USA Today. Having started his career at one of the world's largest financial consulting firms, he climbed the corporate ladder for 20 years, eventually becoming a shareholder, international practice leader, and member of the board of directors at a major public accounting and financial firm in the southeastern United States. However, At the height of his success, Tommy had a transformative moment that prompted him to leave behind the corporate world and embark on a journey to pursue his true purpose. Today, he's dedicated himself to serving clients and audiences worldwide, empowering them to create legendary lives. He equips them with practical tools to operate in their areas of brilliance, achieve financial freedom, and live a life filled with meaning and balance. With his honest, transparent approach to speaking, he gives his audience permission to stop living their stories and start living their lives and become the impactful leaders they were born to be. When he's not captivating audiences or working with clients or here on podcasts with the Life's Hard Succeed Anyway audience, Tommy enjoys exploring the world through travel, immersing himself in nature through hiking and cherishing precious moments with his wife and two beloved dogs. Tommy, welcome to the Life's Hard Succeed Anyway podcast, brother. You ready for this? Alan, I'm so fired up, man. And you and I have so much in common, so many mutual contacts. And what's funny, I have to be very transparent and authentic. That is a brand new bio that I've never heard until right now. So kudos to my marketing team for putting some goodness out there. (laughs) I love it. That's why I was smiling from ear to ear. I was like, I've never heard that bio, but you know, it's not bad. (laughs) Not too shabby. I'm excited to dive a little deeper into it. In fact, that's a perfect segue. I've just gave our audience just a little brief intro of who you are, but take us back. Give us the Cliff Notes version, the, the three minute story, if you will, of how you got to be where you are today. I know, as I mentioned, we've got some similarities. You mentioned it too in our stories, which made me really excited about this conversation. Yeah, I'll take us back. I'll, I'll do the first part. Uh, right now, I'm a seeker. I'm a grower. I, I'm someone who walks the walk. I'm definitely no guru or sage on the stage. I have to do the work that you and I are going to be talking about every single day to be strong mentally, emotionally, spiritually, and physically, man, so that I can lead, love, and respect myself, so I can lead, love, and respect others. That's just a little bit about me. And I hope some authenticity and vulnerability comes in because uh, you who lives in glass houses, it doesn't throw stones, man. And so let me take you from the beginning. I think that's an easier step. So I'll go from the very beginning. 18 years old, I grew up in South Atlanta, man. I came from humble beginnings. Think good, solid, blue-collar, mechanics, military. My dad was a Delta mechanic. My mom worked multiple part-time jobs. And I wanted to be the first person to graduate and go to college in my family. I had all these full rides and multiple universities at 18 years old. But unfortunately, man, I grew up in around a ton of violence and abuse, both inside and outside the home. I really never felt safe as a kid. And unfortunately, at 18, through a lot of external circumstances and bad choices, I committed a violent crime. And instead of going to the University of Georgia or Miami or Brevard or all these places on a full ride, I was looking at seven years in prison at 18. And luckily, by the grace of God and some divine help and the fact that it was my first adult offense, 
Luckily, it was dropped to two heavy misdemeanors, but I was sentenced to two years and spent my 19th birthday in jail, which is a far cry from the university. Really cool thing happened there, man. African-American gentleman decided to cross racial boundaries. Never happens in those places. He was in his 40s. I'm 18. You know, I'm the skinny white kid, and he decided to cross racial boundaries. He called me young blood. He said, young blood, you're not going to become a part of this revolving door system. And with his support, with his accountability, and with his guidance, I was able to dust myself up, pick myself up. When I got out, you know, I had lost everything. I lost my family, my friends. I mean, all dignity, all respect, but I decided to you said life's hard, succeed anyway, man. So I went to work. I went to work in a nuclear waste container factory during the day. Six bucks an hour is brutal. Cost me a hernia surgery and a back surgery. Put myself through community college at night. Did it up at the University of Georgia. Go dogs. And what I'm really proud of is in less than three years, I went from a cage to Deloitte, which is a massive public accounting, financial consulting, and M&A firm. I think it's the largest in the world now. And then I'll, I'll take you to how I got to you today. Fast forward 15, 16 years, I got the corner office, I got the shiny suit. Remember, I came from humble beginnings. I've got the watch, the pretty girl on my arm, and you'd think, man, this guy's going somewhere. He's got it all figured out. I think you have a similar story. And brother, unfortunately, when the money, the power, the success, and the fame didn't light me up, because I was still that young boy filled with rage and insecurity, I turned to the darkness, man, and I literally turned to the Wolf of Wall Street lifestyle. And in two short years, I almost lost everything for a second time. I almost lost my marriage almost lost my career, almost lost my firm. And I do believe if I'd have kept going, I would have lost my life. At that moment, man, that's when I decided to make a transformational change. Some call it rock bottom. Others call it a spiritual transformation. I call it both. And that's where I started working on me, brother, and making me my full-time job, heart, mind, soul, and body. I never planned on leaving that world, man, because let me tell you tangibly what happened in three years when I started just being me, when I took off the tough guy, important guy, arrogant guy, the insecure guy mask and became Tommy, like all of these executives, entrepreneurs, bankers, lawyers, private equity people, they started reaching out. And I was like, okay, let's have lunch or go for a beer and let's do life together. And they're like, no, man, I want to know what you did and how you did it. And that's where they were wanting me to tell their story. And I was giving them the gift of going second by telling them my story. And they knew that they weren't alone. And over time, they talked me into writing a book. Over time, they talked me into creating the legendary life movement for ambitious, high achieving men and women like themselves. And at that point, that's what's led me to you today, man. So, and we wrote the, the book and here we are, brother. I love it. How long ago did you write the book? And I will get into that here in a minute, but how long ago was that? It was over a three-year period. It was published in February of 2020. So it's three years old, but it took me three years to write it because it was a fist fight of me versus me, of me, the insecure, who's going to read it? Nobody cares. It wasn't any good. And then one day I decided to write, I had this, aha moment. And I decided to write the book that I needed at 36 that would have transformed my life and others' lives that I wish I would have had younger. It took me about four months to write it after two and a half year fistfight. And then we published in February of 2020. And I believe we hit Wall Street and USA. Wow. Just in time for everybody to order when they're going to be cooped <laughs> up for the next however many weeks <laughs> and months ahead. The COVID book. That's right. So see, Tommy, we have that in common too. I mean, in writing the book, I mean, my book is coming out October 10th. So we're just days away from that. And a very similar concept is, yeah, I wanted to write the book. I wish someone had written for me years ago. But man, I, so much there to unpack. I want to go back. So you spent two years in prison. 
you come out of that and you go right into work. Did you say you was at a CPA firm? I forget who you no, said. No, I went to work as a machine operator in a nuclear waste container factory for six bucks an hour. That's right. And let me clarify, I was sentenced to two. I spent, I believe, around six months and through good behavior and work ethic and all this other stuff was out earlier. And luckily, because of overcrowding, I never actually got to the prison. So it was in a South Atlanta jail, which was rough enough. I can't imagine what actual prison was like. So I do want to clarify that. But it was long enough and it was scary enough. Both I knew I didn't want to go back to that neighborhood and I knew I didn't want to go ever go back there again. And with his guidance, I went to work in that factory and then community college at night. And so that's when I first got out. Gotcha. Okay. Well, I'm going to jump back to that corner office. But before we do, you've had a lot of success. You're an author, you're a speaker, you run successful retreats and masterminds and events, and you own a hotel there in the North Georgia mountains. I don't know if that's the right word. Hotel? Is it a hotel? Boutique hotel. It is. You got a lot of success happening in your life at this point. Big picture. We have a lot of people on this podcast that, you know, we're desiring all to live a more successful life financially, emotionally, spiritually, physically, relationally, all the ways that really matter so much more than just finances. But what would you say has been a key to your success? Prioritizing myself, participating in my own rescue, leading myself first. To me, we're taught that it's the most selfish thing we can do. We're taught to be net givers. We're taught to be of service. And I'm 100% on board with that. But for me, and most of the ambitious women and men in our movement, we usually put ourselves last. We say we put our families first, which is a lot of times not true either. It's usually business, 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 because we're driven. We're ambitious. We want to make great impact. We want to employ a lot of people. So what I've noticed is, is we put business first, friends and family second, network third, and ourselves last. And for me, every single day when my feet hit the ground, I am working on my, at a minimum of 60 minutes, most of the time, 90 minutes. I'm working on my body. I'm working on my heart. I'm working on my mind. And I'm working on soul to be tougher, to be more courageous, to be more confident, more humble. I believe those are muscles. And you and I both seem like we're in decent shape that we take care of ourselves. but if we don't work out, we atrophy. If we don't eat well, we atrophy. We don't sleep well. But the same thing goes with our heart, minds, and souls, and we're not taught that. And so I have a routine every single day that I love with every fiber of my body with rewards. It's like, show me your habits and the five people you spend the most time with, and I will tell you your future. My habits in the morning. I've been a little weak at night, but I own your morning, own your evening. And I'm telling you, if you lead, love, and respect yourself first, you will absolutely, by growing and getting stronger inside and out, it's the inside game, man, that really makes the difference. And so for me, it's all about my daily habits, my daily routine. And honestly, here's the key. I'm going to give you what I think the key to success is, dude, in life. Number one is hard work. It is the great equalizer. It allows average Joes like you and I to get to the top. Number two, mastering your mindset. Now, for me, that means emotions, heart, and soul. Number two is mastering your mindset. Number three is surrounding yourself with world-class people who are going in the same direction as you. And number four is to constantly be growing and working on yourself and growing better in your skills. And if you do those four things, no matter what life throws at you, because it's not if you're going to get sick or if someone's going to die or if economic strife comes or some dummy flies a plane into a building, it's going to happen. But are you going to stand there with strength? Are you going to be able to walk to the fire? Or are you going to crumble because you haven't done any of the hard work to be better than you were yesterday? So I'll, I'll, I'll be quiet now. I love it. I love it. It's hard work, mastering your mindset, our associations with world-class people, and growing and developing, 
right? Those four things. So what is, okay, not to get too far off in the weeds, but this is good stuff, Tommy. What is your daily routine or habits? I'm always wake up between 5 and 6 a.m. Almost without fail to the point my body will do it now. Yeah. I travel a lot, so I'm going to give you the routine when I'm in my home. So it's different when you're on the road. It's different when you're in a hotel because I don't have certain things that I have here. I'm not kidding, but I'm disciplined around my phone. I think our phones are costing us our fortune, so I'm going to caveat that because I'm about to tell you to grab your phone. I'm really disciplined around my phone, but the first thing I do when I wake up is I say thank you. It is a full prayer, and my God, we get another day, man, right? We get another day to do something. I'm not kidding. I put in headphones. And I'm listening to an 18-minute visualization the moment my feet hit the ground. So as I'm putting on my workout clothes, as I'm going to the restroom, brushing my teeth, washing dishes, that's a holy thing for me, lighting my candle and making coffee for my family, I am listening to 18-minute visualization. This is weeds, but you're going to love it. The first nine minutes of the 18 minutes is my goals and intentions for me, my marriage, my health my business and my spirituality. So those five categories, my second nine minutes is how I'm going to do it in this quarter. So the first nine minutes is my goals and intentions in those five categories for this quarter. And the next nine minutes is me talking to me with music behind it, how I'm going to get it done. So by the time that's finished, I'm already down in my basement. I got a full gym down there and I'm going to do at least 30 minutes a hit up to 45. I'm going to either work on my muscles or my heart. I'm going to do that for 30, 45 minutes. I don't do that. I reward myself with a sauna and meditation. So there's a sauna is heating up. I got it right behind me in this office behind me. The sauna is heating up. So I spend 20 minutes there while I meditate. That's my time to listen to God, listen to the universe and to take it in and to also watch my monkey brain to become proactive and not reactive, to get in control of my mindset and heart set. This is true. By that time, my wife's up. So I've meditated, I've worked out, I've listened to my visualization. It's a true story. I wish she was here. She's, she's out of town right now. I walk upstairs. She's usually sitting there with her little blanket on. The candle's lit. She's got her cup of coffee. Then I do our daily reads together. And those are spiritual reads. Think Christian mystics. Think Taoism. Think Stoicism. It's all in the great ancient spiritual text. So I'm reading to her these daily messages. Then we journal. We do our journals, our gratitudes, our intentions, our affirmations, and our celebrations. We journal together. And then from there, I go walk my dogs. And then I've worked on my heart, mind, soul, and body every single day, man. That's what I do when I'm here. Now, when I'm on the road, it's a little bit different. Right. And what time of the day is that approximately when you're done with that time with your wife? 7.38. Yeah, it depends. Depends on we're having conversations too. It's a time for us to check in with each other. She runs the hotel, but she's also the CFO slash president of the largest vinyl and fabric distributor in the country. So she's a hugely ambitious, successful person as well. So we can lose our marriage sometimes in our stuff. And so we want to make sure that we're checking in during that time as well. So you're looking at somewhere between 60 minutes to two hours per day, every day. But it's my holy time. It's my me time. And then I really need to work back on my evening routine that's gotten off to just travel and other excuses that aren't extreme ownerships. Let's just be honest. I'm just not doing it. But I love at night doing a celebration, how I won today, do some gratitudes, do some readings and do some meditation at night. But that's been a little to the wayside recently. So I'm just going to own that. (laughs) Gotcha. And that's the reality of life. And to realize that we get off track and to make corrections and adjustments and get back on track is, is a constant. That's life. That's life, man. The fact that we're aware of it and we've got goals and we're working towards that. We're not letting life just happen to us and staying in that state indefinitely is a big difference I see between those that are successful and those that aren't. 
Hey, so visualization, that whole piece right there, it, I think I got this, but you recorded it 18 minutes or whatever you said, you've recorded it in your voice, speaking it, and then you listen to yourself. Yep. And it's got music with it. I do it quarterly. I rewrite it quarterly. I'm about to take it up to about 21, 22 minutes. There's some things I want to add to it that I just, I just did my own self work. I was in Vermont working on me through another group. And I, there was just some genius there that I learned and grew from. But for me, I record it quarterly. Again, the intentions in those five categories and the goals I have for that quarter in the second nine minutes is how I'm going to get there. Gotcha. And you can't unwire that. When you listen to that every single day, what we're doing, brother, and you know this, I mean, you're in the business. What people don't realize is why am I still doing the things I've always done? It's because our subconscious, not our conscious, drives the ship. And all I'm doing with all of that work is unwiring the subconscious and rewiring it to a whole new operating system. That's all I'm doing. That's right. I love it. So important. Romans 12, man, renewing our mind, renewing our mind. There's various ways to do that, but it needs that work left to its own devices with all the negativity in our own world around us and in our own heads. It doesn't serve us well. So I, I love that. I love that a whole bunch. I couldn't agree more, Alan. And I got to be, I got to tell you something funny. My wife and I, I call it the Tommy go round when it's in control, when the monkey brain's gone nuts. But we also have this alter ego that wants to just burn down Rome. It's that that young boy who was abused and all that stuff, who his name is Ike. And so we've named my alter ego and my wife and my team will even say, hey, is that Tommy coming out today or is Ike here to play? And I'm like, oh, it's an immediate switch to, hey, you're not being the man or living up to what you want to be. And, you know, that alter ego that's a really bad dude is driving the ship. So I'm thankful that my team and my family and my friends will call me out on it. I love it. It's important to have those kind of people in our lives that will, they'll care enough to do that. Tell us what we need to hear, not just what we want to hear. Absolutely. It's not fun to hear it, no. but we need to hear it. <laughs> we need to hear it. One of our five core values as a team and as a marriage is extreme ownership. So you just got to own it, learn from it, grow from it, and do your best to do your best not to do it again. And I mean, that's the whole life's hard succeed anyway. Fail forward. 100%. 100%. Matter of fact, my wife, a couple of days ago, she said, hey, I got something to tell you, like, do you want to hear the truth? Like, do you want to hear like some real, like constructive feedback? And it's like, uh, like I knew it wasn't going to be easy to receive, but the answer is yes. It's always yes, yes, uh, yes. I want it. I want it. I want it. You know, and I was so thankful for it. Certain situations, certain conversation, the way I communicated, I had to replay it in my mind. I'm like, you're absolutely right. I mean, I was blind to that. And had she not brought it up. I just would have continued. I wouldn't have learned and I wouldn't have had an opportunity to grow. So I'm so grateful for, for those people in our lives. It takes a great courage and a strong person to do that with their significant other as well. I mean, there's some beauty in that as well. It's beauty to your relationship. Yeah, she's awesome. 31 years married last week and uh, she still has the grace to ask me the question, do I want the feedback? I mean, what wisdom, right? Hey, would you like some feedback based on that conversation we had with that other couple the other night? <laughs> All right. Let me share it with you. Here we go. Uh, hey, let's go back to the corner office. So you're you're with the big firm. You're killing it. You've got, quote unquote, all the things you thought would make you happy. You realized you weren't. What was the big missing thing at that point in your life, would you say? What, what was the aha moment? Self-love, self-confidence, self-esteem. And I think a lot of us ambitious, driven men, I don't want to speak for women, but I think they also want these things. Uh, we want power, status, and respect. And for me, I was missing self-love, self-esteem, self-confidence, and being myself. 
And I didn't realize why. And what it really was, was that that little boy who was tortured as a kid, both inside and outside the home, who was basically told, I won't use the words they used, that he was a piece of garbage. He never amounted to anything, that he's all these things. And that was beaten and uh, all sorts of other things into me. Subconsciously, I believed it. Mm. And unconsciously, I was self-sabotaging. And so I wanted to pull the rug out from everything else before someone else pulled it out from under me because that's what I was used to. So there wasn't a check, there wasn't a car, there wasn't a deal, you know, and I had it all. And really it was that little boy screaming to be seen, heard, loved, and valued, but he couldn't love himself. And I was completely closed emotionally. And I was eat up in insecurity and arrogance. And all arrogance is, is insecurity on steroids. Yeah. And I was surrounding myself with darkness. I was in a lot of pain and I didn't know it, but was surrounding myself with people who were in pain and people who wanted to seek the aggressive, fun, partying, chaotic, transactional lifestyle. I mean, I can't tell you a movie that depicted it better than that Wolf of Wall Street. And I, I don't think that's a great movie at all. I think it's got great acting in it. And for those who haven't seen it, describe that for our listeners. Well, when you said you went to the Wolf of Wall Street lifestyle. Yeah, it's party hard, money, money, money before everything else, numbing ourselves to everything known to man, being the cool guy, the tough guy, important guy, life of the party, fun guy, paid all the checks guy. And all that is, is masks and armor that wasn't real. Yeah. And it just got worse and worse and deeper and deeper and harder. And, and then you find yourself waking up a ditch in downtown Atlanta and wondering how you got here. And Honestly, that was shot number two, and I didn't know if I was going to get number three. In a ditch, like a car in a ditch? or, or a car, I, couldn't, I didn't even know where my car was. I was in the ditch, half-dressed, looking at the blue sky, not knowing how I got there, when I got there, where I got there. And like, my God, man, where do you go from here? And, you know, I was, a at the time, a junior partner. I became a senior partner and board member. I mean, I had a huge, huge, huge career and a lot of it was, and I'm like, here I am. And I was like, oh, man, I don't know if I'm going to get another and I got to go figure this out, uh, you know? And then yeah, there was some self-awareness that kicks in, you know, you realize, and I think I was uh, somewhat entitled and somewhat a victim and I'm allergic to those things now. I've never been lazy, but I think I was a victim and entitled. And then I looked in the mirror and I'm like, man, the only common denominator through this massive destruction in your life is you, dude. And so you're both the problem and the solution. Now, what are you going to do about it? Are you going to man up and look in the mirror or are you not? And so I think there was some real, and let me be honest too. My wife and I clearly during that time were in marriage counseling, go figure. But I remember during one of those sessions, the therapist, he knew I was closed. He knew I was angry. He knew, but I, I never could express my feelings. I was unaware and I'll never forget him saying that, Tommy, there's a place near Nashville, Tennessee, that can do more for you in seven days than I can do in 10 years. And when I woke up in that ditch, and I'm thankful to that marriage counselor for telling me that, when I woke up in that ditch, I decided at that point, I need to go check out that place in Tennessee to figure out who I am, where I'm going, and who's coming with me. And at that point, with my wife, I went home and told her everything. I'd probably do that a little differently next time, fully expecting her not to be there when I got back but did sign up for the place in Tennessee called Onsite Workshops. And they spent four days cutting me open and three days putting me back together. And they gave me a formula to gain self-awareness, to gain self-love, to gain self-respect. And through therapists, through great coaches, through great masterminds, doing my own self-work with reading and studying and applying. By the way, reading and studying does nothing if you don't apply. 
but through all of these great coaches and mentors and friends in my inner circle and replacing all those negative humans out of my life and put positive during that time, man. And I just got to say it in those three years, I skyrocketed through the firm, became a board of director, senior owner, all this good stuff. But most importantly, my marriage went from life support to strength. I went from arrogance and insecurity to self-confidence, humility, peace of mind. And I went from one of the most hated and feared people in the firm to one of the most beloved just by doing all that work in three short years, man. So I, don't, I wanted to pick the story up on there was some external influence of someone saying, hey, there's a place. And at that, I couldn't hear it when he said it the first time. But when I was in, laying in that ditch, I heard him. That's interesting. I was just listening to somebody today talking about their experience at OnSite. I've never been, but ironic that twice in the same day, I have two different people on two different states talking about the same place. It changed my life, man. And in seven days. And what was weird, and this is a really, really TMI, they asked me to come back for a second week related to men who've had certain experiences as young boys. I'll just leave it at that. You can let your mind go where it needs to go. And that seven days was profound as well. And that was so, it put my healing in my letting things go and forgiveness and self-love and knowing that I'm not a freak and alone. Man, it took all that stuff on steroids. And to this day, I use the tools they've given me. It's an amazing place. And they've got marriage. They got it all, man. They, I mean, it's a, it's a holy place. And it's in a beautiful part of the Tennessee mountains, right outside of Nashville. Yep. Not too far from me. You've used self-love a lot in this conversation so far. What, what do you mean by self-love? Because I know it's a, a word that gets used a lot these days. Yeah. And I would think that there's probably a couple different perspectives on that. I could just imagine people saying, I read the Bible and it says we should be loving others. You know, we're called to love others. We're, we're supposed to be unselfish and, and the least is the greatest. And you've got all these biblical principles that I, I know to be true. But then there's also the standpoint that they tell you on the airplane, put the mask on yourself before you go try to help somebody else. Because if you can't breathe, you're not going to be able to help somebody else, right? I mean, some basic stuff. And that's what I'm hearing a lot of when you were saying earlier, like your, even your daily routine, your morning routine, it's like you're going to get your head squared away, your heart squared away, your mindset squared away so that you can go on, take on the day and add value and give to other people. And there's other perspectives of self-love too. I'm sure I'm not self-love expert, but when I hear that a few times, I got to ask, like, what do you mean by self-love? The first thing I would say is working on yourself, your mind, heart, body, and soul is the most selfless thing that you can do because you can't lead love and respect others fully until you lead love and respect yourself. It's the old analogy. It's the biblical analogy when there's the flood is the guy comes in and tells him there's a flood coming. He goes, no, God's got me. Then a boat comes by and he says, no, God's got me in a helicopter and he drowns. And he's like, look, I sent you three things. So we have to participate on our rescue and we can't serve others until we serve ourselves. You can't be a martyr because you're no good when you're a martyr. So there yeah. is a fine line there. And that's my personal wisdom. For me, what self-love means to me is when I look in the mirror that I see an ally and not an enemy, I see something that I'm proud of. And it was in so many different ways taught to me that I was unlovable, not valuable, a piece of garbage, blah, blah, blah. And for me, self-love is loving all parts of yourself and accepting all parts of yourself. It's about loving not only your goodness, your triumphs, but also the more painful parts of you that are part of you as well that you work on every day and accepting all of it. It's about a feeling that you get. It's about living your core values. It's about showing up every day for yourself so that you can show up for others. It's about doing the hard work and growing your heart. And I'm telling you, it's about living on the side of abundance, gratitude, 
But if you wake up with a feeling of worry, insecurity, fear, the sky is burning, you're judging people, you're a cynic, you're angry, you're rageful, whatever it is, that means you're living on the side of fear and not love. And that's normal. That's, that's part of it. But it's really, truly accepting yourself. It's really, truly believing in yourself. And it's really doing the work every day. When you look in the mirror, you see something that's core value-centered, purpose-driven, something that you're proud of and someone you want to be and knowing you're not there yet and that you're flawsome, you're, you're flawed and awesome all at the same time. And you're perfectly imperfect, but showing up every day for yourself so that you can show up for others. That's what self-love means to me, man. I appreciate you letting me ask and I uh, appreciate your answer. Thank you. What would you say, Tommy, has been the most difficult thing that you've gone through at this point in life? Would that season in life be your most difficult season? You just alluded to a minute ago, some stuff as a child, or would that have been the most difficult or something all completely different? I think it's all relative. And I will tell you some big difficulties that I've had, you know, growing up around violence and abuse was certainly difficult. Knowing that there's always a path to brightness and you can get out of anything and overcome anything. But, you know, I would say probably one of the most difficult decisions I've ever made was walking away from an incredibly liquidative career. I mean, if I would have stayed at the bare minimum, because I was 39 years old and just had made international practice leader, was a shareholder in the firm, was elected to the board of directors, most people in their 60s. So my financial certainty was set, man. And we put a lot of stock in what other people think, and we put a lot of stock in status, respect, and power, and I had got it. So making the decision to walk away from a minimum of eight digits, that's minimum. God, I mean, it could have been significantly more than that. That's like doing the bare minimum and going to chase a dream and going to build my own company and going to pursue purpose, not even knowing what the lily pad and having the faith to do it, I would think would be the most difficult decision I've ever made. I think the hardest things that happen to us as humans is when we lose someone or something important in our life. Clearly, my dignity and a lot of other things were taken away from me through decisions that were outside of my control pre-18, then decisions I made at 18 and at 36. That's a very difficult thing to overcome, but I always see it now as failing forward and growing forward and just doing the hard work to learn from it. But I think the most difficult decision I've ever made was walking away from that 20-something year career and chasing yeah. a dream. The most difficult things I've experienced are the loss of a loved one or the loss of a long-lost love. And so that pain, you know, you can't have love and goodness without the pain of loss and the pain of sadness and the pain of remorse. And so that was the most difficult decision I've ever made to date. And the second one would be I, I just lost my mother. And we had such a turbulent relationship, but we finished strong. She died strong. We finished with pure love and gratitude and a whole lot of forgiveness. And so the pain of loss, even though we had such a turbulent time, is really, 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 really difficult. No matter who you are, it, it leaves a wound in you that maybe will never heal, but at least you can look out on some good gratitude and learning. I can relate with that as well. Loss of my own family and leaving the big salary and all the things. So to pursue my purpose, my passion and what I believe I was called to do and, and all the uncertainty that comes along with that, we're aligned so much in those areas. What was the aha moment that got you to leave? What made you change? Two aha moments. I got off the elevator one day and I could feel it in my shoulders and heart that I wasn't supposed to be here. It was like all consuming. 
and I was losing the ability to recruit in the firm as a senior partner. One of my jobs was recruit the best in balance. I was losing the ability to sell our services because I just didn't care anymore. And I felt like if I would have stayed, I'd been out of my core values because I would have become the cancer I didn't like. And so it was not just as much about me. And honestly, brother, I had this epiphany one day that they didn't have a check. They didn't have a check. My soul was not for sale. And they could not believe it when I resigned because I had just made it to the very, very, very top. And I was like, most people that leave at that level have left for a more significant career at one of our clients, which is saying something. Uh, but nobody just ever leaves the quote marriage and that what he called it. And I was like, you don't want me here because I don't want to be here. And through great coaching and great mentor, I was working this life coach named Nancy Vito. I was working with therapists. I surrounded myself with really great mentors. And I didn't know the how and the timing, but I knew it was just time for me to go and go chase a dream. There are five lost years in there of me trying to figure out some other entrepreneur journeys that failures, which were quite funny. It's kind of irrelevant to this now, but I didn't know how or what I was going to do. I just knew it wasn't going to be that anymore. And the feeling of freedom when I made that decision, when I decided to sell my equity back to the firm and walk away, and it took me six months, by the way, you can't just walk away from your equity. It took transition time, but the feeling of freedom, they didn't have money to pay for that either. And to this day, I feel completely free. And what do you say to somebody who's listening that's on the fence, maybe? for whatever their reasons are of whether they should stay in their career or not, they're not feeling fulfilled or not feeling their value. They're not feeling what they're doing is meaningful. Or maybe like, like you, you, they just lack belief in the mission for lack of a better way of saying it. I mean, that's kind of what I thought I heard you maybe saying a minute ago. You had a hard time selling it to, to others when you weren't obviously passionate about it. What, what do you say to somebody having those thoughts and considering a, a change? If you stay either in a toxic situation or a situation that's not in your purpose or a situation that's not in your alignment, or if your heart and soul is screaming that you are here for something else, believe that because it's a hell of a lot more wise in your head. And I bet the only reason you're staying is fear, either financial fear, fear of what other people will think, fear of the grass is greener is probably not true. But you will never, ever, ever regret getting in the arena and failing, but you will regret staying. And it's amazing to me how much fear drives our ship. We don't ask that pretty girl out that we want to. We don't seek forgiveness when we make a mistake. We stay in a job we don't like. We don't, we don't, we don't. And that's all fear. And then we get to this oh so preciously short life. And it is so precious. And the older you get, the more you realize how preciously short it is. And you look back with a whole lot of regrets. You'll never regret staying in a status quo, but you will regret not leaving. You will regret not chasing your dream. You will regret not asking that person out. You will regret not seeking that forgiveness. So to me, if your mind is driving the ship out of fear and your heart is screaming to get out, the best decision you would be to do is to remove your mind, get in the arena, get your face dirty, get kicked around, but you'll have a whole lot more fun and you'll feel a whole lot more fulfilled than if you stay in the status quo. And to me, my at the very, very end, I want to make sure that I've left this beautiful planet and our fellow humans better than I found it. But just as important for me selfishly, I want to have a heart full of gratitude and no regrets. And so me, that is your heart driving it is the fear of your mind driving. That's a great question to ask. How much is fear playing a role in it? Because fear is not a good driver of the ship. It doesn't really lead us anywhere good. 
for me, it's never led me anywhere good. <laughs> now, unless there's a, you know, the Roman army is invading, that's when you run to the fire, man. That's a little different scenario, but we don't have a lion chasing us anymore. <laughs> True. I think that never was too big a word. If we're standing on a cliff and fear is keeping us from jumping, that's probably a really good thing. But let's say 90 some odd percent of the time fear is lying to us about what we're fear of. And we just got to exercise some courage and take that next step. Just some 30 second kind of quick questions for you as we kind of wrap up here or begin to wrap up, Tommy. Is there a favorite success quote you might have for entrepreneurs or any kind of success quote to share with our listeners? Yeah, it came from a river rafting guide and I was going down this really dangerous river raft and he said, if you fall out of the boat, you got to participate in your own rescue. Turn up, turn around, grab the rope, swim to your rescue. And it's like, man, that is the best analogy for success, leadership in life I've ever heard. Unfortunately, there is no magic pill. There is no quick fix and no one's coming to save us. Go look in the mirror. You are the problem and the solution to everything in your life. And know that if you just choose to participate in your own rescue, you just choose the next best step and start small, think big, you will be successful. Love it. Love it. What is one habit that has helped you in your success journey? Reading and applying everything I can get my hands on. So I am an avid listener slash reader. And then I always want to take one to three habits from those books. It doesn't matter if it's life hard, succeed anyway. I see the book coming from behind you. It doesn't matter if it's legendary. Reading every single business, leadership, self-development, and book to help me move, and biographies of people that inspire me, not only are reading it, but applying it into my business and life, applying the tactic. And here I'm going to give you a third ninja trick, teaching it. So I'll either teach it to my team, I'll teach it to my mastermind, I'll teach it to whatever, teaching it as well. I love that. Tommy, that's good stuff. Yeah, I have a friend of mine, Ray Higdon, for years has taught the ILT acronym, invest, learn, teach. And I just have found there's no better way to learn than to turn around what we've learned and go teach it. That's such great advice you're giving there. What is one of the best pieces of advice you've ever received? One of the best... When are you going to stop living your story and when are you going to start living your life? Let me say that again. When are you going to stop living your story and when are you going to start living your life? And this came from a great mentor of mine that I met at 37 years old. His name was Kerry Gayho. And we all have this story that we tell ourselves in our brains that isn't true. It's that negative voice inside our head that drives the ship. And it's a story that was given to us by parents and teachers and cultures and news and through our tragedy and triumphs, and the story's not real. The story feels real. And that's the story of the enemy, not the ally. And I knew at that point I had a choice that I could rewrite the ending to my story. If I live in my core values, if I live with purpose, if I show up for myself every day, if I do the hard work every day to be a better man, leader, and human, that I will write the ending of a story and the story that I was telling myself is a lie. I love that so much. You said stop living your story and start living your what? And life. rewrite the ending of your story. Yeah. It said in another way is the point of that to not let the past define your future. Correct. And the negative voice that's inside your head is probably not real. And that you can, through time and unwiring, you can, you can rewrite and put a whole nother bit of information up there. I love that. Is there a book in particular you might recommend to the Life's Hard Succeed Anyway audience? All right, brother. On leadership and self-mastery, I have to plug my own book, Legendary. It's in all your favorite bookstores and on Audible. If you're not a reader, I'll read it to you. So go out and listen to Legendary. But the book that I have read the most and have worked the most, not only in my own masterminds, in other masterminds that I've been involved, is Think and Grow Rich. 
And it's not only about being rich in business success and money. It's about being rich in your soul, your heart, your mind, and your relationships. I have worked that book many times. And I would say it's probably the most life-changing piece of work. And I have worked it and taught it. And so for me, it's Think and Grow Rich. But I got to give a special shout out to Legendary, my book. (laughs) I love it. Give us the 30-second pitch on your book. What, What is your book about? So it's about self-mastery. It's about self-leadership. It's about living life with purpose, owning your own time, taking action, building a world-class network, but also living the good life, having more intimate relationships with your family, friends. It's also about developing that unconditional love and mastering your mindset. It's a simple toolbox. It's short, actionable, and fun. I think that's why it's done so well. It's actually the small actions in it that you can apply in your life, but it's also about building toward financial freedom and living the good life. And so for me, it's a book about self-mastery, self-leadership, and also living the life of your dreams so that God willing, when you leave this earth, somebody will say, hey, that person lived a legendary life because we can't say that for ourselves. Love it. I love it. What is Tommy Breedlove's definition of success? Freedom all the time. To me, it's an internal sense of freedom, like free from the monkey mind, free from other people's expectations and living my core values. But it's also this never ending sense of joy. It's seeing the goodness, love and learnings all around me and not the darkness. So for me, it's about freedom and an ever present sense of joy because happiness is fleeting in a journey, but living a joyful life and living a free life. I love it. And freedom comes in so many aspects of our life too, doesn't it? I mean, there's financial freedom, time freedom, spiritual freedom, all the freedoms. I love that. Everything you just said was love-based though. So that's what I love about that. (laughs) Yep. Hey, what excites you about the future, Tommy? Right now, today, thinking about the future, is there something front and center that just excites you and lights you up? Yeah, I think on two fronts. I don't know what we've done so correctly, but we've recruited the most world-class team that I've ever met all of. Again, we're 11 people, but we're 11 people strong. Seeing the next 11 people and watching them make an impact, watching them become financially successful, watching them help us build this movement that we're so passionate about, that excites me as well as all of our upcoming events. And I'm pretty sure that we're going to bring on a second boutique hotel probably this upcoming year. If not, it'd be in the next year and a half. And so that excites me that my wife will step away from her huge executive job and retire from that and go into living her purpose and dream while she's been allowing me to live mine for the past three years. Super excited for her about that, but super excited about our team and super excited about, you know, we want over a million people attending our live events and we want to touch over 100 million people through our messaging, through our books and through our other things. And the only way I can do that is leveraging other world-class people. So that's what excites me. I love it. And what's the best way for our listeners to connect with you and follow along on your journey, Tommy? Yeah, they can reach me directly at Tommy at LiveLegendary.today. Tommy at LiveLegendary.today. And if you're interested in one of our world-class retreats or experiences or our big events or mastermind or community, we're not for everybody. We're more for high achievers and ambitious people who may not be there or are there, depending on which program you want to come to. But if you're really interested in our events, man, Go to LiveLegendary.today and it's got our 2024 calendar. It just got posted. Come do an adventure experience. Come to Your Life, Your Legend in Tampa. Or if you want to be completely elite, come to the best thing we do, one of our foundational retreats. So I'd love to host you and love to hug your neck, man. So that's where you can reach me. I love it. And Tommy, this has been awesome. I'll give you uh, the closing comment. If you have any closing comment you might want to share with our listeners today. 
Yeah, I would say this, no matter what you're going through, if you're not as successful as you want to be, you're not as happy as you want to be, your relationship's not where it wants to be. The thing I would tell you, A, first, is you're not alone. There are millions and millions of more just like you. So don't think you're alone. Seek a tribe, seek a pack of wolves and do life and business with. Ask for help. Lean in. Participate in our own rescue because you're not alone and nothing can't be overcome until your last breath. Never give up. Continue taking action. I love it. I love it. As our good friend Aaron Walker says, everything is figure outable. I love that <laughs> word. <laughs> well, hey, this has been awesome, Tommy. Thank you so much for your time, brother. Ellen, I, I'm just nothing but grateful for you, brother. If you love this podcast, grab some of Alan's free resources on his website at alanblain.com, spelled A-L-L-A-N-B-L-A-I-N.com. You can also find links to Alan's Facebook, Instagram, and TikTok there in his contacts page. Lastly, if you can leave a five-star review for us on your favorite podcast app, that will get these messages out to more people and it will really mean the world to us. Thanks in advance and make it a great day.